KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. You're listening to the Nurse Practitioner Show on health, wellness, and managing your dis-ease. You need to turn that down. Yeah, if you could just... Right here. Give it a little Under your control. Oh, under my control. Yeah, under your control. Uh, Oh, that's much better. This is the Nurse Practitioner Show on health, wellness, and managing your dis-ease. Today, with my show, I have Ted Anderson. Are you the CEO and president? Yeah, Lord Commander, whatever you want. Lord Commander of the Universe. Yeah, something like that. Lord Commander of Venture Physical Therapy. That's what I've been putting on my cards lately, just to mess with other professionals. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I think it's a good thing. I think it's really good. It's, it uh, throws people off. And they're like, so what exactly is Lord Commander? Well, I, you know, I have my troops and Legion. And, and are you still a physical therapist? Yeah, sure. Why not? Why can't I talk about it like that? That <laughs> just makes it fun. Just, now, you have your doctor of physical therapy. Does everybody who work at your clinic have a doctor? Doctor of Physical Therapy. Uh, yes, currently all of our physical therapists have doctors of physical therapy, and um, I believe we have a new occupational therapist coming on who has a uh, occupational therapy doctorate. Wow, is that true with every physical therapy practice in Maui? Um, no, it's not true, but it's becoming the standard. Um, there are some older practices there where the PTs are registered physical therapists. Or um, there's a few masters out there, but the grand majority now are doctorates. And that's been happening, because the same thing with nurse practitioners, that's been happening over the last five to seven years, something like that? Uh, No, it's been longer than that. It's over 24 doctors of physical therapy. Wow. Um, I've been out of school. My program was, when I joined, was one of like 25% that had a doctorate program. And I graduated in 2006. And uh, I think it goes back 20-plus years. I think USC had the first doctorate program. First doctorate program. Wow. So we're, we're, you, we're taking the sub- subject of pain yeah. and talking about it. Because people who get physical therapy, uh, for example, me, I've had physical therapy, usually are in pain when they come to see you. Right. And so pain, and there's so much in the news and the media with opioids and pain management that I thought this was a nice angle to take. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the opioid uh, epidemic, the opioid crisis, um, you know, for all of its horribleness, the one thing to help get us out has been the pain research that's come out in the last decade has been fantastic. And we understand far more about pain um, than we ever have previously. And the studies on it are a, uh, so much, they're just better done the, the information coming out is a lot more reliable than what we had in the past. Well, and people are so, you know, there's something that's, when you're in pain, uh, I had to have a total knee, a total hip replacement. This is about eight, maybe eight, nine years ago. Right. And I kept having pain, kept having pain. I had all kinds of therapy, like massage therapy, mm-hmm. exercise therapy. And then until I couldn't get off the plane, an airplane, right. I kept thinking it was, it was sympathetic pain because right. my father had just died. Right. Well, no, I had no femoral head. Right. <laughs> so, so finally, you know, I went to see um, a anesthesiologist who was running a pain clinic. This was in Sacramento. Okay. And uh, she did, I mean, I, I had had this pain for 15 years. I'm talking about major pain. 
it puts you in a crazy state. That's all I can tell you. Yeah, it does. Uh, it's it's uh, just just before I got here, I was having a conversation with a patient about the similarities between uh, pain and depression and anxiety, but also that pain feeds into anxiety and anxiety feeds into pain. And there's this, you know, the pathways in the brain are very similar and they run parallel to one another. And that um, it, it pain will literally drive you crazy. If you feel like you're going crazy, you're not wrong. Uh, right. It's because if you look at the things that typically go with depression, well, it's inactivity, it's listfulness, it's, you know, um, uh, there's anxiety, there's actually increase, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, there's uh, increased sensitivity to pain. Well, guess what happens when you have severe pain? You can't go out, you can't do anything, you're not getting normal activity. So these things kind of feed back into each other. It's a little cyclical right. thing. Yeah. Um, I was just telling you, I just had surgery on my sinuses, and um, one of the things that we talk about in the clinic a lot is uh, people always come in, they always go, oh my God, I have, I have the highest pain tolerance that my doctor has ever seen. I have the most amazing pain tolerance. He's just so he's never seen a knee as bad as my knee. And, um, and what's funny about that is from a PT perspective, that's always a bad sign because it means you're, you tolerate pain. Uh, I have a high pain threshold. So we work a lot on trying to get patients vocabularies about pain to shift. I have a high pain threshold. I have a low pain tolerance, which means that you can whack me upside the head with a crowbar uh, we know because this happened once while we were moving equipment. And uh, I gave myself a concussion. I was hallucinating. I kept seeing this little uh, mosquito with really long legs and little tiny wings, and I'm trying to grab at it. Uh, <laughs> but if you ask me any time during that, that, that whole incident, what was my pain? It was like a one or two, right? It, it just I didn't have much pain. My threshold for pain before I start to experience pain is really high. My pain tolerance is very low. So once you finally... Break really it. have I, pain. Yeah, I am the biggest baby that there ever is. Um, but what's concerning is when somebody comes into the clinic or the practice and regular motion causes pain, regular activity causes pain, especially when there aren't huge orthopedic signs to equal the amount of pain they're in, you know, um, which in reality is a lot of the patients that are out there. Um, and things like stress, anxiety, um, being sick, being hungover, being dehydrated, all of those lower that threshold until things that normally you can't take it. Right. Normally wouldn't cause you pain, now we're causing great pain because you're kind of in this fight or flight response. Um, we tend to think of pain as damage, because that's where we learn pain is judged when we're children. You fall and hurt yourself, it's damaged, it's painful. Once it heals, you're better. And unfortunately, um, as we grow, the mechanism by which pain works is a little bit more advanced. Um, as in adults, um, pain is a motivator. It's part of our fight or flight response. So back to you saying you could be sympathetic, right? Oh, it's sympathetic pain. I mean, I would argue that, yeah, your, your femoral head is completely falling apart. Um, Absent. Right, gone. <laughs> it's just mush. Um, but on the other hand, that just didn't happen all of a sudden. No. So no. there is this sympathetic, there's a great book out there, uh, and if anybody's listening and wants to go out and buy it, it's called uh, Explain the Pain. It's by David Butler. And they kind of go through what we understand of, you know, there's the, the old stories of the World War II vet that found out that he had a bullet in his spine from a sniper that he never knew was there. 
Um, and he didn't find out until he's like in his late 70s or something like that when they run an x-ray. And the idea that, you know, we don't feel pain in our femoral heads. We don't feel it in our hands when we're burnt. All pain is in your head. You know when the doctors go, oh, it's all in your head? No, seriously, it's all in your head. That's where you experience pain. That's where the information's processed. And so um, trying... You can, over, you can just ignore it. Right. You can ignore pain until you can't. You can ignore pain, but that's also like tolerating it. That's like having pain, but I'm just going to pretend it's not there. Exactly. Right? That's how I coped. Right. Like, I, I'm just going to pretend that it's not there, but I can feel it with every step, which that's one coping mechanism, but that's not also answering where the pain actually is, right? Um, if, you know, it, how can I put this? If you have, uh, if you're if you're always having pain and you're just ignoring it, you're not really treating the pain. Oh. Back to the idea of tolerating it. Now you're tolerating the pain, right? One of the goals of PT is, one, to correct the mechanical issues, the orthopedic issues that bring about pain, right? We always talk about, you know, I can treat mechanical pain. I can't always treat non-mechanical pain. So if, you know, if you have a mechanical problem, I should be able to move something and both make it better and or worse, Right. If it's mechanical right. in nature, if you move it, it in one direction, that'll either relieve something or, or trigger it more, or make yeah. it far worse. Yeah. So one of the ideas being that um, my goal is to help improve those mechanics. But the other part is to get the body used to being pain. I one of the things we say in the clinic a lot is I'd rather have you come in and tell me that you did too much and you hurt yourself. than you sat on the couch for three weeks and your back hurts. Because that fight or flight response from being in a stressed position from not moving makes your pain so much harder to treat because we have to get you active and you don't want to be active with the you're pain. You're a slug. Right, you're a slug. And so your body reinforces that and makes it harder for you to move because it wants you to move. It's using pain in the way that an animal would use pain. You know, if an animal has a broke leg or something's hurt, it tries to get away from danger. Uh, my clinic on Lanai had this uh, rooster that had its leg broken. And I would watch this rooster outside my window, and first it would just hop on one leg. And then the other leg started to slowly mimic the other leg. And over a few months, it started to lightly touch and started using it again. You could tell that it was painful by how much pressure, but it never stopped using it because if it just sat around and waited, it would die. Cats. Right, right. Cats are all over that island. Take that Cats rooster out. all over that island. Take yeah. that rooster out in a heartbeat. So. So the idea is that the rooster naturally is has to keep moving, and that's part of the healing process. People, we tend to get hurt, and we're like, my back hurts. I'll never lift or move again. I will be in this couch for the rest of my life. And that <laughs> is, Couch potato. Yeah, and, and then it gets worse and worse. So anytime they try to do something, then it's this negative feedback loop. So I tried to do something, it hurts, so I'm not going to do anything. So part of PT is to break that cycle, slowly get people doing stuff, and get back to life. It is so much easier if you're like, oh, my hip is killing me. Uh, I just walked uh, five miles. I can calm those muscles down. I can handle that problem so much more than I just haven't. I don't do anything ever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's a good perspective, I think, because, uh, well, I was so shocked to find out I had no femoral head. And they said, how were you ever walking? And I said, well, there's some things you just have to carry on. Right. You just have to do. I couldn't be a person that just sat in a lump. 
there is, and if you want to look it up when you get the chance, and you might have seen it, um, and if anybody's actually listening to me out here drone on about pain in medicine, um, there is an old uh, sketch, not an x-ray, it's an old uh, anatomical sketch, because that's what they did back in the day. And there's this um, shot of a woman who's basically, the hip had degraded so bad from arthritis that the femoral head had dislocated. And this is like in the 1800s. And she couldn't stop her life. So she kept walking on it. She just kept moving it. And what's interesting is arthritis tends to form in the directions of a joint that are actually excessively lax, not stable, um, because the body's building that bone up to help trap it in that direction. You've moved in that direction too much. So this lady's uh, femoral head dislocated. And it had moved down further into her pelvis, and she just kept walking. She just refused to stop walking. And the arthritis from that motion built up another full acetabular joint. Oh, my gosh. That's interesting. Oh, like it's a false joint. Yeah, it's a false joint. It's it's mind-blowing. And, you know, back in the day, there was no x-rays. You didn't have pictures, so they just sketched it out. So if you go out and you get onto Google, you can look up this picture and... You know, what was she going to do? Just stop? Like, what was she going to do? Just stop living? You know, would just roll over and die? And so, no, not for this lady. She was built of some sort of cast iron. And uh, she off she went. So it's like the body's ability to maintain motion and activity and compensate. You know, you didn't have a femoral head. She didn't have an acetabulum. But neither of you have rolled over and died and just waited for, you know, the vet to bring in the gun to put down the horse, right? Like, that's not, not an option. Right. So too much going on. Yeah. It's just way, way too much in life. So anyways, that's uh, a whole lot of, <laughs> you know, but the people, it's like part of it is a habit, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that's, I realize that and you have to break the habit with new thinking and new pattern. Right. You know, right. You know that. Well, and the other thing too, we talk about a lot with patients is this whole idea of like, what's your pain? Oh, it's 10 out of 10. Right. It's 10 out of 10. I don't want to do anything. My pain is 10 out of 10. And sometimes I'll tell them, I'm like, look, I may not be able to affect your pain, but this is what I propose to you. If you're sitting in this chair with 10 out of 10 pain and we work together and I get you stronger and I get your endurance better and I get you able to do stuff and you're able to climb Everest and you still have 10 out of 10 pain, we can both agree those are two very different 10 out of 10 pains. Right. Exactly. And and so you kind of got to change your mind. The other thing that really is self-defeating is people have the tendency to believe that their pain is eternal, right? This is never going to get better. Um, Severe, moderate to severe back pain, the average natural history of it is 12 to 16 weeks straight. So if you do nothing for severe back pain, it's 12 to 16 weeks straight. But what people don't, what we tend to not think about, and sometimes this is a cultural perspective and sometimes not, is... I had back pain once. I could have back pain at any moment. Therefore, I always have back pain. Well, it's, what I think, what I've observed with patients is they fall back into that pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, in other words, they're in pain, and then you reach to touch the spot. Say it's the knee right. or whatever, and they they react before you haven't even touched them. Do, do you know the MRI studies that they did with uh, pain, perceived pain? No, I don't. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm getting a brainer right here. This is so exciting. Um, so what they did is um, they took these patients and they put them in an MRI. And I got to actually speak to or listen to the guy speak that originally did this. He's uh, from both Harvard and um, I think maybe Oxford. And so he did the, these original studies at Harvard. And so they put people in an MRI. They put a curtain up so they cannot see their arm. 
Okay. And so their arms separated from them and they can look up at a, a mirror and there's a prosthetic arm that looks like theirs. Okay. And um, what they do is they start stroking both arms at the same time, the fake one and the real one with a feather. And they can feel the fake one with the feather and they can feel the, you know, they see the, the real one, see the real one, feel the fake one. And then they take the feather away and they continue to stroke the artificial arm and people can feel it. And then they take a hammer and they smash the fake one with a hammer and the people always scream and they yell. But what's interesting is that the pain... It's not the real arm. It's not the real arm. They're, it's not theirs at all. And they'll tell you they feel the pain. And the MRI shows, the functional MRIs show that all the regions that sense pain light up. So if you believe you're going to have pain, you truly believe, right? Because that's the whole weird thing about placebo and... Right is like if you believe you're going to have pain and it's in your mind that this is going to happen, the likelihood that you will perceive that is really high. They've even taken that study so far as to give people uh, uh, arms of different skin complexion, give a, a white guy a, a black arm and things like that, and they'll still watch it and they'll still feel the pain in their hand. So there's, isn't that interesting? Yeah. What's what, perception? 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 Perception. But there's part of a that that like we want to say perception as within a personal point, but there's also a biological need. So the the next study that goes with this is uh, looking at phantom limb pain. I was just thinking that. I was just thinking of the phantom limb pain, especially post war. Yes. Um, with the of troops. Yes. What I was thinking. So they one of the early studies done with this, and now uh, at our clinic from time to time we do something called mirror box therapy, uh, therapy, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But this is really cool. Um, they took these vets that had lost their legs, they put them in front of uh, a mirror on up in front of them from the waist up, and the waist down was a, uh, a, a TV screen that basically played someone running. And they watch themselves run for, I don't know, 10 minutes, five times a day, whatever else. And these, all these guys had eight out of nine, nine out of 10, um, or eight to nine out of 10 uh, phantom limb pain. And they took five of them. They put them in front of these screens. Um, and one showed no difference. Three of them, their pain was almost eliminated. Magnificent drop down to like two out of 10 phantom limb pain. And one, his pain got worse. And went from 8 out of 10 to 10 out of 10 pain. And they think the reason is, is that when the brain believes that it's moving and it's functional, it decreases that pain threshold, that pain signal. And with the one person that didn't kind of buy into it, his brain kind of knew what was going on. And they think the theory is with the last guy is that his pain got worse because the brain realized this whole thing was even more fake. His brain was able to perceive that that's a video. This isn't really happening. This isn't me. Um, and they've done further follow-up studies on that. But that has come to a whole area called mirror box therapy, which we use for, um, it used to be called uh, RSD, um, reflex sympathetic dystrophy. Uh, it's now called complex regional pain syndrome, which is a chronic autonomic pain syndrome where mm -hmm. people's hands swell, pain shoots down, uh, fingernails grow faster, hair grows faster. It looks like there's two different arms and you can get it from a fingernail and you can get it from a crush injury. It's a, it's an insane disorder that nobody understands. But what's so interesting is mirror box therapy where M I R B O X or M I R R O R that one. Oh, that one. Mirror. 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 Mirror, mirror on the wall. Whose hand's doing it all? So the, 
So the, so you put your hands on either side and the functional hand will move and do exercises and, um, the fake hand. No, so it's both your hands. Oh, both of your hands. Okay. So, so you're moving both hands, but you're watching, um, you're watching one hand, your, your, your damaged hand move in a mirror. So you're watching the good hand move in the mirror. Does that make sense? Okay. The All brain right. thinks it's the damaged hand. And that has been shown to help modulate pain in those patients, as well as people with um, phantom limb pain in the arms and legs, as well as what's the other group? Oh, strokes. Uh, convincing the brain that the hand is more functional it is, it decreases pain in uh, patients post-stroke. So it's, Interesting, this, yeah. it's a fantastic therapy. And we don't do we don't see a lot of those patients that fall in that, but that's something that we definitely do at both clinics. And now uh, you have three clinics, right? Yes. You have one in Illinois. Yep. One at Kalama Heights. Kalama Heights, which is the senior living. Yes, senior situation. living. We're downstairs, but it's not just senior living. Like we see pediatric patients. With that's you're kind just of, in the neighborhood there. Yeah, it's kind of our train wreck clinic. Like our more advanced, like these kinds of things, like amputations and phantom limb pain and uh, people for aquatic therapy and those. We that's who we tend to see at the Kalama Heights clinic, and then we're. Uh, you saw us, uh, the Kihei Wailea Medical Center. Um, that's kind of your more typical orthopedic clinic. Um, we do some other neat stuff like pelvic health and things like that there. Um, but that tends to be your more standard PT clinic. Okay. Now, I remember you were working at Holly Makua mm -hmm. when I first met mm -hmm. you. You were leaving Holly Makua. Yes. And they were giving a party for you, and I happened to be there, yep. I think. Yeah. And you were at Rick Sands' house. Was it at Rick Sands' house? No, it was... Um, that was afterwards. Mm -hmm. There was a party at his house. Yeah, that was... So I was there. I'm, I actually miss working with the nurses there quite a bit. Um, I loved... I loved the staff so much. They're so amazing, aren't they? Uh, they're fantastic. They're And also they would play Feed the Howley, which is my favorite game... Uh, <laughs> Oh, all the Filipino food? Oh, yeah. And they just haze white people, and they just want you to see if you're going to eat their food. And the answer with me is a uh, emphatic yes. I just, Whatever you want to serve me, I'm excited. So then they would feed me something, and then they would all cheer and then try to figure out to try to tell me what it actually was. Uh, oh, how do you translate the randaran <laughs> back? Like, <laughs> daing. What is daing? I don't know. It was good, though. It had tomatoes and little fish, I guess. I don't know what it was. And Oh, God. it was. I had a blast. I miss it. I miss it quite a bit, but that's how we ended up um, starting our company, or that was the the push for it, is because uh, we started going in homes for therapy because so many people were, um, we were telling them for the first time, like, how not to fall and how to protect their backs and, you know, that sort of thing. And so we just realized there was more that we could do out in the community, and so that's kind of what started. Kind of the, the bridge yeah. that you created. Yeah. Yeah, neat. So um, do you find that people have weird uh, thoughts about pain and oh, remedies? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I would love to do just a blog on biases, cognitive biases, how we come to believe. You know, uh, I'm sick for two weeks with the flu. The last day I took 10 aspirin, I felt better. It was the aspirin that made it be better, right? Like we have these weird cognitive flaws in us and what we think makes us better. Uh, I have patients now that are stinging themselves with bees. Um, and I, go for pain? Yeah, for pain. They're stinging themselves. They go to a, a lady in Haiku who's an acupuncturist and they catch a bee and they put it in a little glass jar over the site of the pain 
and then they wait for the bee to sting them. And um, Wait, this is actually going on. Yeah, hundred percent. This is going on. I had two patients at the clinic talking back and forth. And I'm like, so the bee's giving its life for you? Do you do a funeral for it? Like, what exactly? And the lady said something weird to me. It, it wasn't weird, but it, it's sometimes the weirdest stuff is stuff that's kind of accurate but has that off perspective. And she said, you know, bee venom has is is full of of chemicals which which they're natural. They're they're natural, but they find deep-seated healing response within you and cause that response to come forward to heal that. And it's like, yeah, that's called anaphylaxis. That's, that's <laughs> right. Like that's the, yes, you're right. There is a response to venom. It's called anaphylaxis and it does bring blood flow to the area to, to thin out that. But, you know, you could die. So it's like that in mind. So like what she said was technically accurate. Right? Like that's technically, that is what the chemicals do. They do cause an immune response that is accurate. But the other thing is, bee venom isn't just one component, it has multiple components, right? There's a whole field of science looking both at pain, but also all the chemicals that are produced by venom producing creatures because they produce different amounts. Uh, the cone shell, there's a huge research out of UH uh, Manoa of looking at the cone shells that we have that live here, and they're very deadly. But what's interesting in them cone is... Cone shells? Cone shells are beautiful shells. They look like a cone. They're usually... Um, there's there's tons of species down here. You can find some washing up on the beach. You know puka shells? Yeah. Okay. That's usually the cap of a cone shell. Okay. So they're not, they're tiny. Um, no, they can get big. They can get huge. Uh, oh. A few of them are deadly to people. But any one of them has multiple, multiple toxins in them. But what's interesting is from generation to generation, they're able to, um, they're able to evolve so quickly and develop new and different kinds of venoms between generations. Oh, interesting. So there's a lot so of... How do you ever treat something like that? You, you can't. That's part of the problem. Yeah. But those individual chemicals... So a big thing I always tell patients is the poisons in the dosage. Right, so they're looking at these chemicals that are amazingly poisonous uh, to different creatures because cone shells are carnivorous, right? So they want to kill something as quickly as it can, so it can't swim away. And so what they're looking at with these is um, there's so many different chemicals. Some of them have a neurogenic effect. Some of them have blood clotting effects, and they're trying to reverse engineer it so that oh, they can use them is into this different for people medicines. that dive. The, or do you just find them on the beach, these uh, little cone shells? Um, you can find, well, we have so many species here. If you go to, uh, there's a website, kaokistender.com, uh, and he has, or if you put kaokistender into Google, he has this huge website of all the animals that live in the Hawaiian Islands and takes pictures of them. Fantastic marine life uh, photographer. And he has pictures of all the different cone shells. I'll show you after the show. All the oh, different wow. cone shells. And so some of these species make more venoms than the others. So they have all these medical researchers that are trying to divine out the different venoms. And the helpful ones. Yeah. And what do they do and how do they do? But the thing that keeps them on their toes is every generation of them they breed. Is different. Creates a new set of chemicals. Oh, my goodness. How? how yeah, that would be quite a challenge. Yeah, I don't know how you really track it when it's like that. Um, but so before I was a PT, I was a chemist. Uh, that was my original degree. It's boring. I can't sit still long enough for that. Um, I like it academically, but to do what these guys do is like my personal snore, death sentence. Yeah, snore. just cannot. But 
um, they use all kinds of different methods to separate them out and then map them. And it's actually teams of researchers. It's not like you would just sit down and do your stuff because someone has their specialty is separating out the different ones and differentiating them. Another person is to map the protein structure of the venom. The next person is to look at the activity under different situations of the venom. I mean, and then start to apply it. To, yeah. So that's... Are we doing? Are we doing okay? We're doing, we're doing okay. I'm just thinking we're going to take a little break, mm-hmm. and then we're going to come back. And I think what I'd like to do is make talk a little bit more about tolerance yep. and threshold. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, I think that would be a good one. Oh, awesome, okay. awesome. Let me see. There we are. We're almost up there. Almost there. And can you... But oh, Pacific there it is. Medical Group at 95 Lono Avenue in Kahului is the proud sponsor of the Nurse Practitioner Show on KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. That can be heard on Mondays at 2 p.m. and again at 11 a.m. on Saturdays. Pacific Medical Group has chiropractors who specialize in the management and prevention of work-related injuries. For more information and list of potential services, please call 808-873-0733. Aloha Maui, Archie Kalepa here, asking you to help protect our local coral reefs by switching your sunscreen. Avoid sunscreens with oxybenzone and octinoxy, two chemicals that can harm or kill corals. There are lots of safe-for-the-reef choices. Get info at mauireefs.org slash sunscreen. Brought to you with Aloha by Maui Nui Marine Resource Council, Maui's Visitors Bureau, County of Maui, Office of Economic Development, and me, Archie Kalepo. Saturday night at 8 and Sunday night at 9 on KAKU 88.5 FM, we experience dead air. Not that kind of dead air. We're talking Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead music for an entire hour. Saturday night at 8 and Sunday night at 9 with me, Corey Daniels, on KAKU 88.5 FM. Hi, I'm Vince Bodie, co-host of the Biscuits and Gravy Show. KAKU is a listener-supported station. This means that all of the great programs you hear, like mine, are supported by you as well as our underwriters. If you would like to help keep the voice of Maui talking loud and clear, go to kakufm.org slash donate today and give. And don't miss the Biscuits and Gravy Show, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. on 88.5 FM, the voice of gravy. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is Mommy's Jam! Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Our guest is now grooving to our theme song. Go, boy, go! <laughs> there he is. <laughs> we're off topic, but just for a minute. Anyway, so we, we're here. We're, this is the Nurse Practitioner Show on KAKU 88.5 FM. And I'm Mary Margaret Baker. I'm the Nurse Practitioner at on the Nurse Practitioner Show. And with me today, I have Ted Anderson, who has Venture Physical Therapy which is one of three facilities in the Maui 
County. County. Maui yeah. County because it includes Lanai. Yep. And uh, so we were, we've been talking about pain. Pain is kind of the hand in glove goes with the problem of opioid overdosing. But we're looking at why and how, and we wanted to talk about pain tolerance and pain threshold. Yep. So take so, it away, Ted. So, um, so we talked a little bit about this earlier, the idea that you, know, you have some magical uh, water line. Imagine a full swimming pool. Okay, there's a full swimming pool, and that magic water line is uh, normal, normal motion, normal level of pain. And every time that you put the body into a stressful position, you know, you sit slouched for too long, or um, you go through something traumatic like a car accident, right? You lower the level of that pool, and you lower that level of the pool. So now, you know, you have a shallow end and a deep end, and all of a sudden the shallow end's exposed. So something that's more stressful will cause pain. Something that's more force through the joints will cause pain. And then you lower it down more and more and more, and then now all of a sudden normal movement causes pain. Um, if you look at the studies for MRIs and bulge discs, people come in the clinic, oh, I have a bulge disc, I've got three bulge discs, and you know I can't do anything, and I am in so much trouble. They say one of the nerves is crushed, and you know yada, yada, yada. And realistically, um, like after the age of 50, 85% of people have disc bulges. Not 85% of people have pain. As a matter of fact, if you took uh, a random sampling uh, in uh, Maui Marketplace over there and just start picking up and say, hey, you have any back pain right now, right? Yeah, no back pain right now. Throw them an MRI. Of those 100 people, 20 of them would have severe, dege- severe degeneration where they should not even be able to walk, but they have no pain. So there is this idea that, yes. They may not know. Huh? They may not know. They have no clue, yeah. right? They may have no clue that there's anything wrong with them. There's actually, that's why there's a big push by insurance companies now that they won't pay for an MRI until somebody has undergone physical therapy unless there's some severe life-threatening issue going on. And the reason is, is because once people have an MRI and they tend to know what's wrong with their bodies. And they, have, they react to it. Right. And their outcomes tend to be worse. Their functional outcomes drop significantly. And, you know, n- Degeneration, things like that are normal. So then the question becomes, if degeneration is normal, arthritis is normal, disc bulges are age-related changes, then is the difference really what's wrong or is it how we're moving and how we're using those things? Um, And so that idea that you can have something wrong and be entirely functional and be entirely pain-free is the start. Um, We use uh, Mm. a, a method of... Um, treatment called um, mechanical diagnostic technique or the McKenzie te- technique. And the idea is very simple is uh, when I bend forward, it hurts. Okay. Bend forward for me. Ow. Bend forward more. Ow. It gets worse. Okay. Go backwards. What is the pain doing? Oh, the pain was down my leg and now it's moving up to the middle of my leg. Keep doing that. Okay. Now it's in the middle of my back. Okay. Now it went away. And the old way of discussing that or why that was effective was that, oh, you're moving the disc around and the disc has nerve endings on the end of it and you're pushing that disc back to where it should be. But now as the research has shown, it's probably less that and that because we sit slouched, we sit in recliners, uh, we are punched over onto our uh, 
onto our iPhones. Um, because we're doing that, we're constantly stressing the body into a position. So the body starts using that pain, that threshold's been dropped, that threshold's been dropped, that threshold's been dropped. And so now the body's screaming for you to do something. And when you do these exercises, part of what the benefit we're seeing is, are we moving the joints? Yes. Are we stretching this? Yes. Are we strengthening that? But we really are starting to think that the difference is, is that you're sending your body signals through the nerve endings that we're doing something different in the opposite direction. Turn off the car alarm. It's not in danger. And Exercise has been shown across the board to decrease pain. Um, and people go, oh, it's yoga. Oh, it's Pilates. Oh, I'm doing barre now. Well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And what it appears is that... You're it's doing a, something. Right. It's, you're tricking the body into thinking that you're changing the activity. You're changing those, those kind of mechanical stress positions. And you're doing something different. So the body doesn't assume that you're in danger, that you're trapped in a cage. The body assumes that, oh, you're out moving. I can turn that off now. And so that idea of this threshold not being necessarily equal to damage is very important. Um, and well, when, when you think, when, you know, as you're talking, and I'm thinking of my own personal experience, but also patient, other patients that I've had, and it's like, yeah, it's mind over matter a lot, isn't it? I, it is. I just, there's, it's like, that's one of those statements that I really agree with and I really disagree with at the same time. It is mind over matter, but there's something deep-seated about us that comes down to more to belief and expectation than it does. And expectation. So, and so the yeah, mind yeah. over matter goes to the idea of tolerance, right? I'm tolerating my pain. But there's something different about genuinely believing and beginning to increase activity, increase change behavior patterns that then relates to pain. And it's like, yes, mind over matter, but that's somehow too blunt of a tool. Too, too shallow. Yeah, almost, or, too something, or something that we've used in a, um, uh, it's always hard for me not to swear, uh, in a very poor Cavalier? manner. <laughs> Cavalier ma matter? Yeah, because, because of the, that was the old idea. Oh, they have non-organic signs of pain. It's all in their head. Oh, it's, you know, it's psychosomatic pain. It's all in their heads. No, no. See, I don't think it's psychosomatic. No, I don't either. Uh, no, I think it's real pain. It is real pain. It's even, real pain. Even psychosomatic, I would argue even psychosomatic pain is real pain. You know, the other thing that's uh, insane is these pain pathways, right, run right along, and I said this earlier, right along the depression pathways. And they're finding out with severe chronic pain, these people that they're pumping opioids into for years, Okay, pumping opioids. You know, we had a guy come in and you looked at his opioid list and it was like, how do you feel feelings? Like, how are you present and functional right now? Right. And we can talk about how the body adapts to opioids over time and how that was a thing. But it was so much because as he had pain, they just doped him up more. And the reality is, is what we're learning and what has come out in the last oh, I was I'm going to say 10 to 12 years maybe a little bit longer, but the first generation of antidepressant drugs, SSRIs, were very bad at fixing depression. Turns out they're very effective with chronic pain. Aha. Uh -huh. um, because? Similar pain patterns, right? Yeah, similar, exactly. so, similar neurologic pathways. So these people were given meds. And so the idea, too, of, and I don't, I guess, can I explain, uh, opioids and how they work in the body? And is yeah, that, is why that, don't we do that? Let's see, where are we at? How are we doing on time? Okay. 
Is Let's that okay? take five minutes to do that. Okay. Can you do it in five? I think I can do it in less. Okay. So the idea is is that the op- opioids go in, and you have these opioid receptors, and um, what the opioids do is they go in and they block these receptors so the pain signal can't go through. But if you imagine you and me at a party, we start, we're in a normal conversation right now. A couple people come into the party, we talk a little bit louder. All of a sudden, the music gets turned up. We're starting to talk a little bit louder. Much more people come in. Now we're kind of yelling at each other, but not quite. The music gets pumped again. All of a sudden, we're screaming at one another at the party, right? Place is packed. It's popping. It's booming. But just to get our message across, we're screaming at one another. And then all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. Cops are there. Everybody starts jumping out of the party because they don't want to get arrested. Crazy stuff's been (laughs) happening. But you and I are left there cleaning up in the mess, and we're still so used to screaming that we're still screaming at one another. And nobody else is there. And nobody else is there. Except the police. But (laughs) Except for the police, and we're luckily not arrested. However... That's exactly what happens with opiates. As the opioids go in and attach to the receptors, the brain is still sending signals to and from. And so the body responds by creating more receptors so that communication can go through. So then when you stop opioids, you have excessive amounts of receptors on the nerve endings that are now picking up every bit of information coming across and amplifying that pain. So that's why you constantly have to ratchet up and meet more oh, and more, more opiates. more opiate, yeah. Right, because now the body is having to scream to transmit that pain signal. Um, and so, yeah, that, see, I think I did that in like a minute and a half. Yeah, okay. Was, that makes perfect sense why people are so hooked on that. Right. But, you know, what it is, is there's so, there's certain personalities or certain people, their chemistry in their body is more likely right. to hook it, right? Right, right. To create more... Sites. Right. And, and, there, and then once that happens, people change on a neurologic perspective. We always talk about addiction like a choice. But the other thing is, is like heavy opiates rewire the body at a very intrinsic base level. And that's why it's so hard to fight opiate addiction is because you just you just how do you re unwind it? Right. And there's only so much you can do. I mean, realistically, as we're learning, like you can you can improve that. Um, but I have a friend that you know, he's, he has, he's had issues with pain pills and he's like, look, I'm, I'm doing so much better. My pain is less, yada, yada, yada. He goes, but my mind always knows that there's relief in, in the opiates. He's like, my mind always knows. He goes, regardless of how I feel or what I think it's all, there's always this little bit of drive because his system's been rewired after a major, major car accident. And I don't think how people who have that tendency to get produce more sites right for the the opiate to hook on to right that's i don't know how they ever get over it i the technically i mean from his perspective you technically don't like you become more functional so you're over it in that sense but you've been hardwired like at in your central nervous system how you function has been hardwired um, and that's why opiates are uh, so dangerous. That's why, and I'm not going to say they're never appropriate. You know, uh, the, you, I just had surgery. Like, you know, they gave me some. They're in effect. They don't work at all on me. So I don't. I, you know, uh, but the the thing is, is that if you're one of those people that they do do that for, um, and you become reliant on, I always tell patients. Pain meds are there to take the edge off, not to kill the pain. These shouldn't be pain killers. They should be pain modulators. You should be functional still while you're on these medications. And why you still have pain. It's a minimized right. pain. Well, yeah. And so, and the pain also gives you information on how you're doing, what's going on. If you are just, you can't feel it anymore. And you are just, that's the other issue, right? 
Um, and But that's how they were prescribed. And that goes back to some changes in Medicare in the 90s. Medicare started requiring healthcare practitioners to address pain. And if they didn't address pain... That's right. right. One to ten. One to ten. One, one to, to ten. ten. Where are you at? And if you didn't, if you, as, as, a nurse, as a nurse practitioner, if you documented it and then you didn't address pain, well, at that time, the tools that were available were opiates. That's the tools that you had. You had anti-inflammatories, you had steroids, you had opiates, and maybe muscle relaxers. And if you have real pain, muscle relaxers just make the muscles loose. They don't really kill the pain, and you can't drive a car on them. Uh, Anti-inflammatories have secondary effects, and depending on what's going on, like I couldn't take them for my surgery because they're blood thinners. So that leaves you to opiates and acetaminophen, right? And, you know, things like physical therapy at that time weren't as as advanced as they are now in skill set and technique. And so a lot of doctors didn't prescribe it because they're like, oh, that's just a massage and some ultrasound. And so... Which is so not. Right, right. It's, it's So abs- not. It's not at all what we do. But that was the perception. And so you have that, but then you also have the lobbying by these drug companies because they saw that window in the 90s, right? They saw the window of how Medicare was changing to address people's pain, and they jumped on that. So you have a bunch of elements that led to our crisis um, as it is. As it is, yeah. Oh, you know. dear. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's kind of this idea between tolerance and, and threshold. How are we doing? We're doing good. We have about 10 more minutes. Okay. And um, I want to be sure that people know how to get a hold of you. Yes. Venture Physical Therapy and the best, is there a central number? Yeah, the best number is uh, 808-633-4480. Um, and uh, the, the other way you can get a hold of us is venture at venturerehab.com. Uh, I will say this, too. Uh, I love the sound of my own voice. Uh, I absolutely love to talk to patients. Uh, if there's anybody out there that's listening that just wants to come in the clinic 15 minutes of my time, any of our therapist's time, and just ask some questions, I find that our job works much better. Not everybody needs therapy, but sometimes people just need things explained. This is what's going on with me. What do you know about this? Um, you can call our clinic at any time and get a free consult. And it's not really a consult. If you just want to talk more about cone shells and venom <laughs> and venom, di- uh, venom development, um, you can come in and just be like, yeah, I just want to talk to Ted about this and hop on our schedule. And uh, they'll put you in for 15 minutes. And if I've got more time, we'll talk longer than that. Uh, That's very important because, number one, I think people, if they have the opportunity to meet the possible clinician, right. then they feel more comfortable about going to you. Right. And then they feel comfortable that you're going to be able to help them, which is a wonderful mindset to start physical therapy or any therapeutic intervention. I, I agree. And the other big thing that I think about therapy in any health care practitioners is it's about their relationship. Our clinic is fun and loud and crazy. I mean, our Wi-Fi uh, title is VPT House Party. Um, th- <laughs> th- that, is, that is who we are. So, th- And that's a lot of fun. A lot of patients like that. But that's not for everybody. So one of the things is is to come into a clinic, experience it. I don't like people. Sometimes will get mad and be like, "This place is crazy. You guys are all telling jokes," and you know. And it's like I don't get angry at that because it's like, yeah, there's somewhere else that fits for you. And and so we may not be that place. And I'm okay with that because it's like, no, this is just who I am. This is the people I've hired are like me. It's a fun place. It's a it's a it's a energetic place. Um, But being able to sit down and build that relationship, that's going to be more effective. When somebody comes to talk to you about pain and what you need to do, you're going to be more receptive to listen. Open to it. Yeah. yeah and, it, and if I'm not your guy you want to talk to, 
Um, there's other people on this island that I could recommend that are fantastic. Christy Newsom, fantastic PT. She's uh, quiet. Uh, and, and she is not like me. So if you need someone that's quiet one-on-one, that's very, you know, Christy is fan, Christy is fantastic. Uh, the group up at, um, premier physical therapy, uh, also very different vibe, but finding that person that meets you where you need to be, um, critical is, is absolutely, that's going to do the most. And also being able to walk into that, that does the other thing I think is important. The fact that, 15 minutes from now, you can be like, hey, I had a question about my hip, blah, 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 blah is going on. And I can go, oh, do these things or try this and call me a week without having a copay, without having to come into your pocket and just get the time so you get the knowledge. It's going to help you live healthier, longer with less bureaucracy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. You know, and so that's one of the reasons I actually started my own practice, you know, as a home health agency. Right. And had a pre- clinical practice in the office. Mm-hmm. So it was combination, clinical practice, and home health agency. Right. And uh, that made such a big difference, to say the least. Yeah. yeah. Were you on while Pace was going on in Holimakua? Uh, no, no. Pace- my, my show? No, 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 no. Oh, no. I, w- I had my uh, um, home health agency in Sacramento, California for 22 years. No, no, I know. Oh, uh, no. But when you when we met at Holimakua, was Pace still around? Was that an organization? Yeah, it's a federally funded I Medicare. I, they had Pace in Sacramento. So I don't I don't really know. It was a, it was a fantastic idea. The idea was that you had a bunch of practitioners coming together. Um, and we there were, were just too rural in Maui to make it go. Uh, we got going. It was a brilliant program where you would say it would be like me, you. There would be a psychologist there. There would be nursing. There would be just the whole gamut. And each patient was reviewed every week to see where they were and what changes needed to be done to their health care and what all the different staff, because you tell different things to different people. So what was being said so that you can not only coordinate care, but the care was designed for that person is probably the best program that I've been a part of. Uh, in my career, I've been not, that is like what healthcare should be. That team. Yeah. And especially when we're talking, we don't have a chronic pain center here. Like chronic pain should have a doctor or physician that's leading it. Um, uh, you definitely need somebody, a psychiatrist that is specific or a counselor that is specifically trained in pain management and perspectives. Um, there should be physical therapy and possibly occupational therapy involved so that you are getting both, uh, the psychological aspect uh, to a certain degree, a spiritual aspect, uh, coordination of all the medical care going on, as well as activity. And we really don't have that set up in that way on these islands and in a way where um, it's very focused on current evidence. And I think the biggest piece that's often missing in that is the psychologist. I know there's pain doctors and people that have PTs in office, but having someone that helps someone deal with the language and the psychological issues of chronic constant pain is and it's really difficult absolutely yeah and some people it's harder to deal with and other people it's easier but you still have to deal with it right right that's the key right and it's and it's how you you know it's how you do you know i had very minimal pain after my surgery but it was constant it didn't go away and it's like if you ask me what my pain actually was i would rate it low but if i if you ask me in a split second i would rate it way higher not because the pain was worse but because it never stopped it was very low, but it was constant, and it was driving me literally nuts because it just never went away. Um, and, you know, you get where you start to understand where people are just getting beat up by pain. Well, and they're getting ready to just commit suicide. Yeah. I mean, 
I can understand that, frankly. I had a close friend that I've loved for years finally come see me, and uh, she was crying in my office. And it broke my heart because of all the different paths that she'd been down. And, oh, this is what the Facebook page says, and this is what the, this person, the herbs they're taking. And, you know, the fact is, is that just having someone talk to her about pain and what it is and the perspectives of it was a big deal. And for her to know that, yeah, she was going to be okay, and but this is what the road to recovery looks like, and you know that sort of thing. It's just what to anticipate, right? Like give them kind of a correct, a new path, you know, right. take the road less chosen or whatever that is, right? And then how to sort out information because everybody wants to help and everybody wants to give their two cents. Maybe next time we'll come and talk about belief systems in uh, medicine, healthcare. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody wants to give their two cents, but kind of what I was pointing out to her is, you know. Not every bit of two cents is applicable to every person. This isn't a religion. Healthcare is not a religion. It's uh, it's a it's a collection of science and data that you use the evidence to find out what's responding and go in that direction. Like it's not. And, and every ever every avenue it will not work for you. Right. And then how do you differentiate between those avenues? You know, you just don't blindly go into New York and start picking streets and going down them. And hopefully, you know, you generally know where you're going. You have a map, and you know that if there's construction on a street, you know how to deviate. And what that looks like. And I think that practitioners uh, are especially responsible for carrying somebody through that pathway. The highest point in PT, the highest point in physical therapy is not being able to diagnose everything under the sun. It's when you are able to know that you will not help and where to send that person. I totally agree. What I usually do or have done in the past, if somebody needs a referral, I usually write out the questions for them to ask. Right. Because they freak out. They get there. They can't even remember why they're there. Right. I do that all the time for patients when they go to orthopedics. These are the questions you need to ask. This is what – and we also – we're both guilty of this. I know it for a fact. You, when you're listening to patients talk, you're listening for keywords that send you in a diagnostic pattern. You're listening for certain things that you that you associate. And sometimes a patient's language is not equal to your language. And they'll be describing something vehemently. And you're hearing something else, and they're trying to say something else. So I'll work with patients on this is what the doctor is. This is his language for the things you're saying, right? If a patient tells me they're numb, I assume they feel nothing. But what they're usually describing is paresthesia or tingling. Oh, I'm numb. I'm numb. So if I put a nail through your hand, you wouldn't feel that? Oh, no, it feels like static in my hand. Okay, so that's not numb. More specific. Right. And so, like, how do you navigate between a normal person's language versus our medical professional? It's culture plays into it. Yep. Oh, 100%. 100%. Let's see. Where are we? Okay. Now, people know how to get a hold of you. Say the number again. Uh, 808. 633-4480, press 1. Press 1. Press 1. Leave a message um, or talk to a live person. Yeah, probably talk to Felicia or Alexa or Chantel or Rustin. We've got Rustin now. He he got his uh, Jollibee the other day. He's fantastic. (laughs) And uh, uh, that's where I'm going next. Um, So you can talk to any of them and uh, just tell them, you know, I want to talk to Ted. Could I come in for a consult or any of your other therapists? Because we've got a crackerjack team. You have a very, very good team there. Yeah. Um, and plus, let me put a little plug in. Yeah. You have Northeastern PT students. Yes, yes. We uh, Northeastern is Northeastern a, University in Boston. In, I might add in Boston. Uh, fantastic students. Uh, we actually have a very robust student program because that's how we bring people to the islands to work here. So they don't come out on vacation. They know that they actually want to live here. And Northeastern has been a lot of our hires. Uh, they just produce fantastic students that are really with it um, and very knowledgeable and confident. Um, 
And uh, I'm just so pleased with that program. Yeah, it's really, it's nice to see because I was, when I went in, there were two Northeastern grads. Right. One was a student and one was, you know, on your team. Yes, we have two on our team right now, uh, Maura and Alyssa. And then we have Katie, uh, who is uh, an intern right now. So we've got three Northeasterns. Uh, currently, and then his huskies. We call husky. them huskies. Huskies, yeah. The huskies are in the house, and uh, they're fantastic. They some of them come out on internships prepared, like you would see a seasoned practitioner. Sometimes they throw you. They're so ready and knowledgeable. You're like, are you sure you haven't passed your boards yet? Because you really are with it. And uh, they're, they're it's the co-ops. Yeah, it is. It's the, the co-ops. The co-op. I tell you. The co-op program is amazing. Um, I kind of had that. I created that myself before I went to PT school because I was in the training room and I I was I was uh, with athletic training and I traveled with the team, so I had to be very prepared. I knew how to deal with patients. Um, and not everybody in my program at Marquette had that luxury, so we just had internships. So you're just kind of thrown out and you're left to sink or swim. Because of the co-op program that preps these guys before they come out onto internships, uh, they're guns blazing. Like, they're just amazing. Which is, you know, of course, where I went to school, Northeastern University College of Nursing, I might add. Um, but now it's all under the Bouvet Health Sciences. Yes, yes, so yes, anyways, yes. Now there's not just a separate nursing program. Well, Ted... I think we have many more topics in our future I think so. to bring to the public because I think people are yearning for the opportunity to know more, yeah. to feel like someone has their back. And I think those are our values yeah. as clinicians, and I think those are the people that are working with you. Yeah, I think uh, I'll tell you what, uh, you're, if you get the Facebook link up and you post this, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put our venture – I'm going to link it to Venture PT, uh, our Facebook. And if anybody has questions, uh, we might even just start doing small little videos for people that have questions. So you guys can just submit a question through our Facebook page. I think that's Venture Physical great. Therapy, and yeah. we can just talk because I, this is a lot of fun. This is really great. Okay. Well, it's now 2.57. I'm going to play the last little piece of our theme music. There you go. We have every what's required for every guest. They have to be able to dance. Yeah, you just got it. You know, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. I'm Mary Margaret Baker, and you're listening to the Nurse Practitioner Show at 2 to 3 o'clock on Mondays and Saturdays, 11 to 12. So please, if you haven't, if you didn't listen to this whole show, Tune in on Saturday because it was a fascinating, interesting show about pain, pain pathways, somewhat of the uh, epidemic of, what can we call it? Opiate epidemic. Opiate epidemic, which I think they're kind of getting a handle on, even though people, I don't think there's many people dying, but I haven't read. I I did try to get someone from the health department on the show, Hmm. and he said he didn't know anything about it. I shouldn't laugh at that. I I was a little shocked, but okay. That's not supposed to be funny to me. Okay. So, Saturday, please tune in. If not Saturday, we'll be back on Monday with a new show. So, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody.